He's going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. And he's intercepted! Intercepted! They knocked down the ball! And in the 35! Welcome to another episode of the Duck Pod. I'm Austin Meek, Registered Guard Sports Columnist, here with Ryan Thorburn. Uh, our guest this week will be on the sideline for Oregon and Utah at Autzen Stadium. Uh, she's formerly with the Oregon IMG Network and uh, now with the Pac-12 Network. Jill Savage is with us. Hey, Jill, how are you doing? Doing great. Here at the airport, getting ready to head up to Eugene. Excited for this one. Awesome. So when you come back to Eugene, um, what what do you have to do? Are you like a voodoo donut person? Do you have like a favorite coffee shop or something in Eugene? What's your uh, game uh, weekend routine when you come back? They pretty much know that I will be at Beppe and Gianni's. Uh, pretty much right after my plane lands, I might eat there one or two <laughs> times before I go home. Uh, it's my favorite thing in Eugene by far. Awesome. Jill, I'll ask you a, a Richard Dice question. Um, What's your typical week like? How do you get ready to cover an Oregon-Utah game, for example, uh, and get to know both these teams as well as you'll have to do to kind of do things on the fly from the sideline? Yeah, so I'm usually, I, I tell people I'm home for three and a half days and I'm gone for three and a half days. So it's Sunday, the travel day, get back, uh, and then I start watching all of the games that I missed on Saturday because I'm on the sidelines for games and getting ready for, for the other ones the, that I'm covering. Uh, and then, so usually I'll try to get through all of the games that, that I need to know uh, by Sunday night. And then Monday, it's just full-on reading every article that I can get my hands on, listening to podcasts. Uh, usually we'll call coaches on Wednesday uh, for the opposing team. We'll meet with the home team coaches on Friday. Uh, and then sometimes they'll get us players either Friday afternoon or we'll talk to them on the phone throughout the week. Um, but it's a lot of preparation. We have some awesome stats guys that work for us. Ryan McGrady is our lead researcher for Pac-12 Network. Um, we're working with Pro Football Focus in the college division, and they send us the best stats package uh, of anything that, you know, we, we get all of this great intel, and then we just have to figure out throughout the week how we want to decipher it, and our crew kind of goes over that. Uh, we have a Thursday production call amongst our crew just to everybody get on the, on the same page, just to make sure that we all know. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've been doing different radio interviews and so there's there's a lot that goes into to a week of football when you're everybody else is sitting at home watching the game for three hours there's a there's a lot more that goes into it we're happy to do it yeah well as we're taping this on thursday you're still kind of in the middle of the uh the game week preparation uh but what what's your read on on utah just looking at them from afar um as a team that you know we thought maybe would contend in the the pac-12 south but um their offense has been um an issue what have you uh what have you gathered about the state of the utes going into this game you know they're both teams coming into this game are on three game losing streaks but i would say not all losses are created equal look at the losses that utah has had uh, Stanford by three points. USC was a two-point conversion away from getting that victory and then playing the hottest team in the conference in Arizona State. Uh, I look at their team with, with Tyler Huntley coming back. The numbers that I was talking about from our pro football focus, he is the most accurate quarterback 
in the Pac-12 at 78%. Herbert is next at 76%, and Browning is followed just after him. So if Huntley can get back, they, they said obviously he wasn't at 100% against Arizona State, but if he can get back to just even getting in a flow of offense uh, against Oregon this weekend, I think that you're going to see Zach uh, Moss run it a little bit more. That was a demand basically from Kyle Whittingham after the game. Zach Moss only got 12 carries against Arizona State. That's not going to be enough. He said he wants to be a more balanced offense. Uh, and actually, Troy Taylor, their offensive coordinator, is going to be moving upstairs up into the booth to see things and to try to eliminate some of the distractions. So we'll see if that has any effect on the Utah offense. But then that Utah defense, they're as banged up really as anybody right now in the conference. They have a lot of questionable guys coming into this game on the defensive line of linebackers and then have two guys out for targeting in the first half. And uh, safety Chase Hansen, he was injured in the USC game, didn't play last week against Arizona State, but you know, hopefully for if you're a Utah fan that, that maybe he'll be able to go. He's, he's questionable at game-time decision, but it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting one to see how both of these teams respond after tough losses. Obviously, adding a little intrigue to this matchup is Darren Carrington, who would have been Oregon's number one wide receiver, um, got into uh, some more trouble off the field in July, and now he's Utah's number one receiver. Uh, how big a, of a storyline is Darren for you guys? Obviously, he's a, a very talented guy and uh, beat Utah in the last second catch last year. Yeah, he definitely is a talented receiver. He is, uh, according to our numbers, the best in the conference so far this season, catching 75% of the passes thrown his way. Uh, but you see Darren, he's talking this week how, you know, he's, he's going to be excited to come back and see everybody. Uh, but the coaching staff said they haven't really talked to him about it much this week. They said, you know, obviously he's going to be a little emotional at the beginning of the game. That's to be expected. But they said once he gets hit two or three times, you guys know this is, this is the way football goes. Then you're just back in it. Uh, but it was interesting because we had Utah's very first game. Uh, to call this season, and I talked to Darren, I interviewed him after that game, and he's just been saying how he feels so at home with Utah, even so early on in that process, uh, and he said it's really like a brotherhood, like a family for him, so I think that he's found a fit that is that has done him well. Talking to Kyle Whittingham already this week, he said he has done absolutely everything that they asked. I know Oregon fans are all wondering uh, if he would be able to stay on the straight and narrow path, uh, but Kyle Whittingham said he has been living up to every standard that they set for him. And they said that it was a gun, it's going to be a very short leash for him. So, uh, hey, if you're Tyler Huntley, though, that is the number one guy that you need to find because Utah, like many of the teams in the Pac-12, they don't really have that solid number two wide receiver this year. Uh, and it's, it's difficult to say that when you're in, what, week eight that we're in right now. Uh, but that's the situation. And so Darren is going to get a lot of passes thrown his way. And if you're him, you have to you have to love that kind of environment because he knows he's going to get booed when he gets out there in Austin Stadium. Yeah, for sure. In preparing for games, you guys meet with coaches, talk with coaches. Oregon has a new staff this year, as everybody knows. Uh, it's it's been different around Eugene covering the team. It's a little bit different to get a, an injury update in the middle of the week. We didn't used to get those. Uh, what's it been like for you and your interactions with um, with the new coaching staff and and Willie Taggart versus the uh, the previous coaching staff? Has has it been a different vibe that that you've sensed in dealing with the new new coaches? Uh, yeah, I mean, we had Oregon's first game uh, against. Southern Utah, and that was definitely a different feel going into Austin Stadium. Uh, and then they, obviously, as you guys mentioned, the injury reports. I got an official injury report from the Oregon staff, like, 
halfway through the game, and I thought, this is insane. We never would get this before. Uh, so that was actually nice to be able to report that, you know, not just be speculating down there on the sideline with what I saw, but actually to have the official word uh, from the training staff was very nice. And I think it's nice uh, to kind of come and see. I think you see a, a bigger presence on social media. I think that they're trying to get out there and engage with fans. Now this is me saying, of course, you guys preface this at the beginning. I used to work for Oregon IMG. Uh, the other coaching staff, they were, you know, some of my good friends. I knew them personally. Uh, Mark Helfrich, like his daughter, called me her best friend. We had the same birthday. So it's a little different for me just because I don't know the new staff as well. We're still getting uh, to know them. Uh, but, you know, I, I knew Jim Levitt from Colorado before. That, that that relationship is still there. It's still very good. And, of course, he still doesn't want to talk to us. Don't worry. It's not just you guys. He always would tell us. When we were at Colorado, he would say he would be the last coach that we would talk to because by the time we got to him, we wouldn't want to stick around anymore. We wouldn't have any questions. We could all just leave early. Uh, so that's, that's how Jim is with us still. It still works that way. But Willie has been very open uh, with us. Um, I don't know. I, I just think I'll, I'll need some more time to fill it out uh, because this will be the first time that we'll actually meet with the Oregon coaching staff in person for those Friday meetings that I was alluding to uh, because we had two games week one so we we had a conference call with them earlier in the week before that game so this will be a a new feeling for us even this week even halfway through the season well speaking of the old coaching staff uh, before austin and i moved to eugene i believe you did a a show with chip kelly is that right i did yeah i used to host chip's coaches show so you know you know one of the the most intriguing coaches out there uh, better than most what do you think his next move will be uh, I would be surprised if he wasn't back in college football next year. I think that you see him working ESPN college football. I think that is kind of his way to get back into the game. And, I mean, he is as good as anyone breaking down quarterback play and what you see on uh, on film. And I think it's been really fun the, the times that I have got to see him on TV. Um, I did think it was very odd, though, coming from my perspective of seeing him literally every single day throughout football season and having to kind of coax him along to to make sure that we got through that TV show quickly enough for him. I mean, it was it was taped. It wasn't live. So those commercial breaks were really only 10 seconds in the room, actual time. It was just enough time to pause, reset the camera, and, and get going again. Because Chip, as you guys know, he didn't, he didn't have a lot of time to waste. And I think that he appreciated the fact that I wasn't, uh, that I was, going to take uh take advantage of the time that we had but not waste any of it as well so uh that was that was definitely an interesting time but i would be the number one person to say i would absolutely love for chip to get back in uh into not only college football but hey maybe back to school who knows yeah well i you know we thought going into the year there might be a bunch of job openings in the pac-12 this offseason, although it appears that may not be the case. Oregon State uh, will have one to fill. But um, this is kind of a random question I was, I've was i been throwing out to people. We're two-thirds of the way through the season here. Who's your first-team all-Pac-12 quarterback right now? Oh, man, that is so difficult right now. Uh, who would be my first team? I think, gosh, I'm just going through the top of my head, but I, everybody is saying it's only been three weeks, but Khalil Tate, and what yeah. he has been able to do has been something that we haven't seen in college football in a couple of years, I would say. Um, and I've worked two of the three games that he has played in, so I've seen it up close and personal. Um, 
that game against Colorado, I was I was standing on the Colorado sidelines and I was watching what the defensive coaches were trying to do, the adjustments that they were trying to make, and literally nothing worked in that game. Then they played UCLA the next game. Of course, you guys know one of the worst run defenses in the country. Uh, so he, again, looked like a superstar. But then that Cal game, that was really impressive to me because you have the top two running backs get out of, get out of that game, one for targeting, one with uh, an ankle injury. And so it really was on him. And I would say because of that Cal game and what he had to do uh, to, to get that team into a double overtime victory, I would say that is the most impressive thing that I have seen from a player in quite some time. And I know, I, I, get, it, I get it, it's only three games, but it's been so impressive right now. And, you know, you, you throw out a Josh Rose and a Sam Darnold. Yeah, we, we saw them. Coming into the season, they get all of the hype, but with Sam coming off that terrible loss against Notre Dame and then Josh Rosen, UCLA hasn't been as good as a lot of people expected them to be. And I think that when you have a quarterback to the caliber that a Josh Rosen is, uh, that's, that's what it's all about, right? You see how Oregon is struggling without theirs. Well, UCLA has one of the best in the country and still aren't living up to those standards. So I don't think that you can really point to him uh, at this point in the season. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we talked about this great class of quarterbacks in the Pac-12 going into the season. <laughs> Khalil Tate wasn't on anybody's radar, um, <laughs> and yeah, it's it's hard to say he's you know a potential first-team All-Conference quarterback when he's played three games. But I tell you what, if he keeps it up, the combination of the way he's played and the fact that the other guys, you know, this this heralded group of Pac-12 quarterbacks, I'm not sure any of them have played quite up to what we uh, what we expected. So that that will be interesting to see how that shakes out one more who's your uh who's your pac 12 coach of the year at this point in the season uh you know even though they lost and i was at that game and they had khalil tate last week i think you have to go with justin wilcox at mm-hmm. this point in the season i don't think that anybody thought that cal would be able to come back and, and turn it around the way that they have so quickly i mean that defense was atrocious we all have watched cal football for the last you know four or five years uh, and to see what he was able to come in and do right away. And talking with him last week in in those Friday meetings, he was saying how in spring they had about 1,100 different snaps, 11 on 11. Most of the time you're only going to see 7 on 7, and, and people are only going to go through and, and do what they need to do. But he said when he got there in spring, he needed to install that defense, and they needed to understand what they were doing. So they got about 1,100 snaps in spring, and then they did about 1,200 snaps in fall camp, and that is 100% showing up in the effort and the way that they have been playing. Uh, Khalil Tate only had 139 rushing yards, which for that guy is pretty much contained. Uh, He had a 76-yard run in the first quarter that led to a big touchdown, Uh, and then really only about 60 yards or so after that. So they've definitely done the best job against Khalil Tate, Uh, and I think with that defensive performance that you've seen from Cal, I think you have to give it to Justin, and the offensive weapons that they've lost for, for season-ending injuries already this year, they've, they've definitely done more with less than, than any other team out there. Jill, I'm guessing one of the tougher uh, aspects of your job is the sideline interview coming out of halftime. Um, <laughs> when, I th- when I think of those things, I think of Greg Popovich, obviously. Um, do you have a favorite coach in the Pac-12 to do those with, or and any that are um, Popovich-like? Uh, Popovich like would be the man at UCLA Um, we cannot actually interview him going into halftime only coming back out of halftime 
which I find is a very unique quirk. He's the only one that has that uh, stipulation for us. Um, and you never know. He's, he's usually pretty good, though, once you do actually get him. Um, but, again, just with those, all those quirks, uh, I, would, I would put him in that Greg Popovich category. Um, and then my favorite coaches to interview, uh, I mean, I think it's, it's going to sound funny, but I really do enjoy talking to Chris Peterson. I think it's, it's kind of like the Chip Kelly, right? Like they make you rise up to a better level. Uh, you can't ask Chip or Chris Peterson or, or guys from that kind of a mold um, an uninteresting question or a dumb question. I mean, they, they just don't have time for that. So it's kind of, it's more fun for me when you have to have something that, you know, you really have to find a, an interesting angle, something that's working in the game broadcast, something that, you know, I work with Ted Robinson and Yogi Ross, something that they can use later in the second half and advance the storyline that we're talking about. I feel like that's what I'm trying to do uh, is to get the most information, uh, not only for the viewers, but for the guys upstairs, that if I can get something from a coach that, that they've been talking about or maybe questioning and, and trying to see what, what's going on in their head, uh, I think that's at the point where I feel like I've done my job. What are your uh, interactions been like with the other Apple Cup coach uh, who usually likes to go off topic at least? I mean, <laughs> I hate to brag, but Mike Leach tells everybody that I'm his favorite reporter. So nice. I don't know if that's a Leach? good or a bad thing coming from Mike Leach. And when other people hear that, I have no idea how they interpret that or what that means, but I think that I'm willing to ask Mike uh, a little, it's still a football question, but it will have like a different angle to it, a different spin on it, right? Like before um, the Nevada game, um, Hal Mummy, his son was uh, the offensive coordinator at Nevada, and so there was a question, or a newspaper had written, Hal Mummy and Mike Leach are the modern-day Lewis and Clark of football. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's it. That is my Mike Leach pregame interview question. He went off for a minute and a half on that. And for Mike Leach, that's basically an eternity, right? So <laughs> I I also enjoy that challenge of you have to have a different angle, a different idea, a different mindset going in and trying to talk to a coach like Mike Leach versus, you know, say somebody like straight and narrow, like a Chris Peterson or a Justin Wilcox that, that you see. And, um, Richard, you never know what you're going to get with him because he, he's a fiery guy uh, on both sides, and I really like that. I really enjoy interacting uh, with Richrod. So, yeah, there's there's so many interesting people here in, in the Pac-12. It makes, me, it makes me excited every week because I love covering all of the different teams. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jill, thanks so much for your time. We know you got a plane to catch, so have um, a great trip back to Eugene and a, a great weekend here, and uh, thanks for your time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on, guys.